Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. Today, we sit down with the guys from Zeppelin to talk about what they're working on. We talk about developer experience, smart contract upgradability, their experience building and auditing safe smart contracts, and more. So this is an episode that's coming to you guys from Buenos Aires in Argentina. Um, I'm down here for uh, ETH Buenos Aires, a hackathon, and I've been sort of lucky enough to get a chance to meet some of the teams down here, and this is going to be an interview with one of these teams, kind of one of the most well-known teams out of the ecosystem. Um, and I'm here with Demi and with Faku and Frederick. Hello, hello. Do you guys maybe want to quickly introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Demi Brenner. I'm co-founder and CEO of Zeppelin. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having us. And hello, guys. My name is Fago Espanolo, and I'm one of the core devs and security researchers uh, from Zeppelin. So in today's episode, what we were thinking of doing was exploring a little bit what Zeppelin is, but then also looking at sort of another angle on UX. So a few weeks ago, we did a podcast about sort of UX for the end user. And in this episode, we were actually going to be speaking a little bit about UX for the devs. Um, maybe to start, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Zeppelin is, kind of how it started, and what you are today? Perfect. So Zeppelin builds key infrastructure to develop and manage smart contract applications. Uh, we started a company almost three years ago. Uh, we do mainly three things. The first one, it's called Zeppelin, Open Zeppelin, which is an open source framework for secure smart contract development. The idea is for people instead of having to write their smart contracts from scratch, um, you know, have these common libraries of uh, vetted smart contract modules that they can use to build their own token, decentralized applications, or anything that they want to build on on public blockchains. Um, open Zeppelin is open source, community driven. Uh, we have over a community of over four thousand developers and over a hundred GitHub contributors in the repo. So that's I think it's the most popular smart contract framework out there. You know. Um, so we started with that. Um, then we began doing security audits. So we became the leading company in the blockchain space doing smart contract audits. Basically, all these approaches that we're using, Open Zeppelin, most of them were doing ICOs and they didn't want to be the next DAO. So, so they started hiring us for reviewing their smart contract code and making sure everything was safe. We now audited over 80 projects in the space, you know, big names like Brave, Golem, Definity, Cosmos. Over $600 million were raised with our audited smart contracts. Um, but and that's great because, you know, it helped us build a reputation network of clients um, and gives us a lot of learnings to what the main issues and challenges the industry is facing right now. And, you know, one of the main issues and challenges we see, which I guess we'll also talk in this episode, is developer experience and also related to security. You know, how do people make mistakes which lead to uh, projects losing millions and millions of dollars? Um, so you know, that got us informed into, and we use all these learnings for this new project that we have called Zeppelin OS, 
which we call an operating system or, or a development platform for building and managing smart contract applications in an easy and secure way. So what is the relationship exactly between Zeppelin, the company, Open Zeppelin, and Zeppelin OS? So the way we see Zeppelin is the underlying company that drives many of these efforts. Uh, Zeppelin, the company, is the one that's performed security audits, but we also see ourselves as this technology innovation hub where many of uh, you know cool projects and uh, technology products come from it. One is Open Zeppelin. Open Zeppelin is basically these libraries of smart contract code that many of the projects are using. And then Zeppelin OS is a development platform that extends these libraries of code that Open Zeppelin provides with um, an app, no, with a whole development environment and upgradeability mechanism for projects to be able to not only develop these applications in an easier way, but also upgrade them over time to make sure that they fix any vulnerabilities, bugs, or they add new functionalities as the space evolves. So no, to answer back the question, Zeppelin, the company, starts performs security audits and starts many of these projects, one being Open Zeppelin, which is code libraries, and the other one is Zeppelin OS, which extends these libraries into a rich development environment. With this development environment of Zeppelin OS, do you target just like it, uh, sort of when you say OS normally, like that's a software level thing only. It's it's some amount of code. Uh, but when you say development environment, it sounds like you're almost targeting like an IDE. You want to build testing infrastructure and frameworks and things like that as well. So what is included in this development environment? Zeppelin OS is managing and improving developer experience uh, for developer teams to build their smart contracts. We're not providing an IDE or a testing environment, at least not yet. We're just focused on, for example, improving the way developers can extend or modify their smart contracts for uh, extending functionality or fixing bugs or whatever they they need to uh, modify or upgrade their smart contracts and do that in an easier way. We're providing other kind of features like on-chain standard libraries that, that will help a lot, reusing audited and community audited code so they don't have to be duplicating code on blockchain, just reusing other developer teams' uh, libraries that they already took care to to deploy to the, to the blockchain. So this is kind of amazing because we, we don't have that right now. We have many libraries of, of source of uh, smart contracts, but we do need to keep redeploying them every time we need to use them. So this is really, really a really nice feature. Yes. The way I put it is you have Ethereum, which is this distributed computer. And w- the way we're seeing or we're positioning Zeppelin OS is as this layer on top of this distributed virtual machine in the same way in the 80s you had or in the 90s you had different pc manufacturers and the development experience was really bad and there were a lot of uh, you know bare bones um, technologies or tools uh, we see that happening again uh, with respect to blockchain technology and, and the whole web3 or blockchain stack so uh, in the same way operating systems like windows or linux came in the 90s and facilitated the um, development experience for building applications on computers and eventually on the internet we see that happening again with blockchains so zeppelin, zeppelin os um, sits on top of 
initially the EVM, the Ethereum virtual machine. We will, we're planning to support eWASM and not only Ethereum, but other EVM supported blockchains or eventually eWASM supported blockchains. So we see this as a, you know, the OS comes more of an analogy for comparing the 90s to what's happening now and building this key infrastructure layer or in the stack that will enable the new um, creation of decentralized applications from happening. So let's bring it back to the UX for devs, or as you, I think you described it, developer experience, so DX. What is it like for somebody to build on the Zeppelin network? What would that actually mean? So the way we, we see we're improving developer experience uh, with Zeppelin OS or Open Zeppelin is, for example, in case of Open Zeppelin, we're providing a lot of audited code that is already tested by the community or and already used by the community. And since we have a lot of contributors and a lot of eyes on this code, we can ensure them they will be using like a really nice code to start building their applications. And the way I see it in terms of Sublime OS is that we're going to the next level. We're going to provide a platform that will allow them to manage and, and to develop their, their smart contract projects in a more better way. We're going to provide upgradability and on-chain standard libraries that, as I said before, it will really improve the way developers can either fix bugs or extend functionality or reuse these libraries of outdated code without the need to redeploy them or spend huge costs of gas to, to reuse them. The way we see this is, you know, in the same way, if you're building a website, we'll most probably use WordPress or you know, use Bootstrap. Uh, or if you're building, you know, you're using jQuery for, for JavaScript, we see Open Zeppelin and eventually Zeppelin OS as these uh, you know, template modules for building smart contract applications. Now, if you're a developer, you don't need to understand all the underlying infrastructure, how blockchains work, how smart contracts should work. Um, now, there's a lot of complicated stuff that FACO and our development team are great at dealing. So we want to abstract all that complexity from new developers coming in the space. So they just focus on building their application or like providing value to their users rather than managing all this complicated infrastructure stuff. So what would it look like today if a developer, you know, practically wanted to build something on Open Zeppelin? Where would they go? What would that like experience look like? just going from nothing to having something built and deploying it. So for Open Zeppelin, developers will go into the GitHub repo and there's a lot of smart contract modules that they can either download via NPM or they can copy paste them and customize them with their own parameters using these smart contract template modules and deploy them by themselves, which, you know, Instead of them spending two weeks developing a smart contract for a token or for a crowd sale, they can grab our already vetted modules, customize them, and have them in less than a day, which solves a lot of problems and improves the developer experience because they don't have to write them from scratch but use what other people are using. The only problem, the problem that we see there, which was something that Faco was mentioning, is that you know, all these projects, for example, that they're launching tokens, 95% of their code is basically the same. So everyone is downloading the same modules, customizing them, and then deploying them to a network and spending gas to deploy all these 
like almost the same smart contracts. So the way we solve that with Zeppelin OS is instead of you having to download the smart contracts and deploy them by yourself, we are putting all these smart contracts into a library that's on-chain. So projects can dynamically connect to this library instead of having to redeploy different instances. And that not only simplifies the developer experience, but also reduces the gas costs related to deploying new contracts every time. And the, you know, additionally to that, once the smart contracts are on chain, no smart contract should eventually be mutable. But what happens if you if you find a bug in the code, or there's a security vulnerability, or there's some new functionality that you want to add? How do you fix it? How do you solve that? With Zeppelin OS, we're proposing and we're providing this uh, upgradeability mechanism related to the standard smart contract libraries that we're putting on chain, so projects can easily fix these bugs or add new functionalities using not only our tools but also uh, having a community of developers that are constantly economically incentivized to propose new upgrades and for the users of the OS to be um, you know, benefited because there are people always looking at the code and making sure it stays safe over time. So um, this might be a controversial opinion, but uh, running a crowd sale, in my opinion, is not really building a dApp. So... <laughs> What other than crowd sale and ICO stuff do you deal with? Uh, I, I know there's a lot of other stuff there. So, um, like, how, yeah, like, what can you actually help a developer with who's trying to build an application, you know, that users are going to use? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, crowd sales and ICOs are just the first use cases of this technology. Is in the same way in the 90s, you had people that were putting uh, newspapers on a screen today you we're taking things that we already know how to do which is like fundraising and putting it on the blockchain because it's like global and faster but the way we see the space evolving is by the emergence of new applications that made it possible things that were impossible before in the same way you know instead of putting the new york times on the web you would have the googles and the facebooks and the amazons which were new different paradigms in the in the internet era um so going back to your question i think crowd says is the first low-hanging fruit in the space we see uh, our developers also um, using NFTs, non-fungible tokens, the ERC-721, to create you know, their own crypto kitties. There's this interesting project called Decentraland that's using Open Zeppelin's ERC-721 token standard for creating digital land. So people can go into their virtual reality world and you know, buy pieces scarce pieces of land in their kind of like virtual territory um, and that seems uh, you know far stretched but they they sold like 19 19 million dollars uh worth of this um land in a land auction so it was pretty amazing so i think you know non-fungible tokens is a big one now we're seeing also the emergence of token curated registries which were now um, adding to Open Zeppelin in, in our future releases. And <clears throat> the way we approach this is instead of us driving the adoption of you know, new smart contract use cases, we see what our users and our community are 
they want to build and they're doing and we just like provide the standard safe implementation for other developers to expand on, on those use cases going back to usability though does this not open up some like so you create templates it's very easy and as far as i can understand they don't even developers don't even need to like deploy it themselves they can do it through your system but what if they actually want to change something dramatic could they break it like does it not make it because they won't necessarily understand the underlying concepts would it not make it a little bit dangerous to have people using it who maybe like how much can they basically affect it i guess that's the question how much can they alter what you've created in open sibling we're providing a lot of template templates that can be changed or customized as long as they want i mean it is pretty much uh, reusable templates of code so they can actually customize them as they want But if, if they may make a lot of changes to them, they will be like writing their own smart contracts. So that's the idea where we try to encourage them to contribute to open something to provide another flavors of, of our templates. Um, and that's basically the, the idea. And with on-chain libraries in Sublin OS, uh, basically the idea is the same. In this case, we, we encourage the developer teams to provide or either contribute to our standard libraries or to provide their, their own. So basically the idea here is that anyone can create uh, their own on-chain standard libraries if, if they want to provide new, new templates or, or new customization of our templates. I think uh, there's actually a good point to what you were talking about a little bit before of deploying something like deploying a standard library to the blockchain that essentially means that they can change those things and basically use this API as is and you're safe and you can't fuck it up. Um, I think like going back to a little bit of my own vision of uh, how smart contract development will happen in the future and like you were saying uh, the comparison to the 80s and 90s is sort of when the web first started and we had HTTP um like people were at the very foundational levels like building their own web servers doing like really rudimentary things when HTTPS started coming like there was several competing projects to do cryptography and it was like not good and most were really terrible implementations and people shot themselves in the foot all the time and it took us like 15 years to get to something like ruby on rails where basically stick within the bounds and you're fine like it's not that you can't fuck up that terribly and um i think zeppelin os is moving in that direction in a good way um but but um demi to your point before like how much do you think we know today of what that final solution will look like versus like we're just trying to get the very like we're trying to agree on a common web server to use at this point i agree a hundred percent with what you say i don't think we really know how how things will play out so the way we are um you know framing and building zeppelin os it's not that we have the silver bullet solution that will solve all the problems and we'll have the perfect code for from from now on but <clears throat> providing these standard libraries that at least for now they're the best thing that exists and then we have this upgradability mechanism for introducing new developments and new features and new paradigms as you no know, 
the space evolves over time. And there's something we didn't mention yet, but related to the previous question um, that Faku answered about um, you know, the creation of standard libraries, it's not that we, Zeppelin or Zeppelin OS, provides one single API standard on-chain library for everyone to use, but anyone is able to build their own on-chain standard library. Uh, but then the challenge you know, is not where they can or they can't do it, but how do they convince everyone that their own implementation is the best one? Uh, yeah, or safe. And, and, and you know, adding to that, which is a, the second part of, of Zeppelin OS, um, it has a whole economic incentive mechanism for attracting developers to build new versions of the, these libraries with improvements, with bug fixes, with security vulnerability fixes. So now going back to your question, um, the way we're building this is not by having a single perfect solution that's immutable and will stay over time, but creating a framework that can pull a network of developers to collaborate and come up with the Ruby on Rails in the next few years and provide the economic incentives to this network of community, like this community of developers to be contributing here rather than uh, somewhere else. Which language, like, but you're not creating a new language, are you? You're just, you're creating a platform where an existing language could be utilized and then you create these templates, but like, is a language in your in your future, is that something that you'd want to do? That's actually a good question. So our approach here is like, we hear what the community is doing and we try to help them. We started with Ethereum and especially with Solidity because that's the most popular smart contract platform and the most popular language. But if new platforms or new languages emerge, we'll be adopting them in the same way you ha we have today Open Zeppelin Solidity, we can have Open Zeppelin Haskell. Or, you know, eventually if we believe that there should be a better smart contract language. Uh, we have these crazy ideas of building our own and, and you know we're doing some research and development on that. So we don't have any concrete plans to the, you know, build that language today, but it's in our you know, list of things that we want to do as a way to improve the whole ecosystem. This brings me to a related point, which uh, on your website, you state that you support both uh, EVM and e or WASM. Um, in what way do you support Wasm, and is there like how is that a, a a thing on your roadmap, and how are you thinking about it? Yes, um, we're working closely with the Wasm team, and the way we're seeing this is that you know they will eventually support Solidity language. So uh, everything we're doing today is built on Solidity, so that can be you know easily supported by Wasm. And again, you know, we are close to the team. So if, you know, there are other smart contract platforms that adopt Iwasm and people start building smart contracts in a different language rather than Solidity, we'll create the new Open Zeppelin X, which is the new language, um, being this new language created by us or created by other team or it's a language that already exists. And our approach is to support the community and drive best practices right? and today like tell them what to do so i understand that you're solving for sort of a developer a developer experience problem but i'm just curious about what you guys think of the developer experience now anyway like what 
what what do you see? What do you see happening right now in terms of that? And what are what are the problems with it or the awesome things about it? I'm go- only going to say that it sucks. And I let Faku explain why. There there's a lot of tools that developers may use to start building their, their smart contract projects, but we need to recognize that this is a, a really young environment or platform. I mean, Ethereum. So we need to keep improving and, and start building new developer tools to make people's life easier. And just to kind of follow that, you so so far I've heard like as a solution, it's templates and sort of a community which can possibly, I guess, like look at those templates and look at those sort of adjustments and give feedback and change it and stuff like that. But in terms of developer experience, like what are the other things that people can actually do other than templates? I'm not aware of. That's a problem. Um, you see different projects like uh, 0x or um, Ogre. Oh, I know these are like pioneering projects that are building their own, for example, upgradability solution. But they have to spend resources, of course, of themselves to to build these solutions. Uh, the, you know, going back to the developer experience problems, I see there are four main problems today. The first one is, you know, as you mentioned, and as Faku mentioned, uh, tools are very rudimentary. They're very bad, and that uh, makes it prone for developers to make mistakes and have their smart contracts uh, you know, hacked and, and, and lose the money. The second one is that it's, you know, by, by definition, it's really hard to build secure smart contract applications. And, and we're seeing this not only because of the, of the hacks, but also because of all the security auditing firms that emerged in the past like year and a half, two years after we started. Um, the third one is upgradability. Um, know software development is full of fixing things and how do you fix something in an easy way for example we last year we the ogre team hired us to perform an audit of the serpent compiler which was the language they were using for their smart contracts and we basically like found eight critical bugs uh that vitalik uh like ended up tweeting that uh Serpent language was deprecated uh, because of our audit. So no, we basically helped the Ogre team migrate from Serpent to Solidity. Of course, they they used Open Zeppelin, but that migration was a hassle. You know, it was like a ten day work, uh, not only technically, but you no, know, it was uh, operationally hard. But it was also costly. It was like coordinating with exchanges, coordinating with wallets. It was a mess. Um, so we saw that problem firsthand. Uh, and, and that's one of the things we're, we're solving with these standard libraries um, and, and the upgradability mechanism. And I would say the, f- the fourth um, problem today with respect to smart contract development is interoperability, which is not a problem that too big today, but we believe that as the space evolved will be. So basically, let's say you're building a betting application, uh, so we need to connect to different underlying protocols like Augur for placing the bet in their prediction market, Filecoin for retrieving the data, uh, Golem for performing off-chain computation, uh, no, bunch of protocols for, for building a simple decentralized application. And the way you, mm, you know, talk to these other protocols, connect to them and make these smart contract payments interoperable uh, is no easy task. And as more applications emerge, they will start 
facing this problem and again going back to the standard libraries if everyone's building with the same standard libraries eventually you can you know set what the interoperability standards are for them to communicate with each other it would almost be like um going back to the os comparison of having ipc sockets in an os like there needs to be different ways of applications being able to speak to each other uh, they can do that through piping in Unix or through IPC sockets or through a bunch of other ways. But like, at some point, you need to define some common pipeline of data that you can send to and receive from and sort of n interact with your environment. One last thing that I wanted to ask you guys about is just, and this is maybe a much, it's like a softer, it's a softer solution, but it is the just documentation, education. Are you guys doing anything around that? Is this something that you're looking at as well? So yeah, we're working really hard on building really good documentation for all the things we do. And we uh, spend a lot of time building guides or like tutorials um, to encourage people to start building their own applications of smart contracts and get involved with this uh, community and, 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 and Ethereum at all. One cool example of that is... Uh, a project that we did it's called Ethernot one of our Ale one of our, our core team members did it which is basically this catch the flag or hacking competition where you need to hack into different smart contracts and go like progressing different levels like a game which every every level is more difficult than the previous one and that's a great uh, learning example for how to hack and, and you know build smart contracts it's actually now used in stanford for teaching you know smart contract development as a resource so you know ethernot i think the website is ethernot.zeppelin.solutions um so if you know that's a great resource to learn and and get started and and get deep into the technical and the security aspect of smart contracts cool we'll uh, definitely link that in the show notes I have one uh, sort of question on usability and just tooling and, and the way you do your stuff. And then I want to move into talking a bit more about upgradability because I think that's an interesting topic. But I've been to your repo and you have, you know, CI like any other project and you have a bunch of tools in CI. I assume you have a bunch of tools that you use during development. What does it look like? like inside the Zeppelin company writing a smart contract? Like what do you use while you're developing and what is in your CI pipeline? Okay, so um, I guess we use the, the, the common tools that every, every, every other project of smart contracts uh, may use. Uh, for example, um, we use uh, Truffle a lot to test our smart contracts. Um, as you said, we we think it's really useful having a SCI and and measuring our, our test coverage um, to be to be sure that our smart contracts are secure. Um, for example, in the case we're building a DAP, as Demi mentioned before, uh, for example, Ethernet, we we use uh, uh, JS libraries like with three or ETHJS or any any others JavaScript helper libraries to build our 
web decentralized applications. And, and another another tool that we use a lot is uh, Remix uh, to test uh, our code and to share code to be, between between the developer team. Another cool really cool thing is, uh, for example, we use uh, our own frameworks to build our own applications. For example, um, we do use OpenSampling in our own applications and. <laughs> We uh, and we also have like uh, security guides to build our own applications. That th th these are th the ones that we use when we're doing, for example, a security audit. So we try to follow our own uh, recommendation in in our own projects. Yeah, eating our own dog food, and 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 these guides are also public in our blog. So it's not a secret sauce that we have, but we share with the community to you know level up the the development experience and the and the knowledge in the space. Have you ever tried using uh, Mithril or uh, Manticore or Echidna or any of these sort of fuzzing and uh, symbolic execution tools to test your contracts? Uh, yes, uh, we do. Um, but we, we need to get involved with uh, more with them because, uh, as I said before, uh, many of these tools are, are kind of immature, sadly, and... Sometimes it, it took a lot of time to to set up that kind of tools, um, like in order to measure or to do some fussing um, with our projects. So, um, so, so yeah, we, we do, but we're not that involved with that kind of tools. Cool. Well, let's uh, move into the upgradability topic. Sure. So. So you've mentioned like a couple times through the interview already uh, this idea of upgradability, and I think this would be something that would be really cool to dig into. Without upgradability, how is a smart contract currently updated or what have you? Well, as as Demi described before, for example, it um, with a Agor wrap token contract, smart contract. Uh, if you were using a Sublin OS. Uh, you will need to deploy a new smart contract, like freeze the old one, um, then migrate all the information with the, the old smart contract to the new one, then um, update all the community to start using the new address of your new smart contract, and that would be a mess. Actually, it was a mess in case of uh, the other uh, smart contract. So, um, But using Sublin OS, the thing is that um, we're just changing the logic uh, of your smart contract. So the address of your smart contract will be the same one. Uh, you won't lose that information. So you, you don't have to migrate any information. You won't spend gas on, on migrating information. So that's that's why we think that it's, it will really improve uh, developer experience in case they do need to, to upgrade their, their smart contracts. Let me know how correct or incorrect I am in my description here. And I'm particularly interested in your implementation because I've seen some implementations of upgradability sort of floating around. And the way it typically looks is you have three contracts. One is a proxy contract that acts as sort of your front end. This is the address or, you know, this is the contract that you share with people. Say, hey, use this address, send stuff to this contract. Behind this one, you have two other contracts. One contains storage, and so it's just a dummy contract kind of that only has storage. And the third contains all of your logic. So when you want to upgrade the logic, you would deploy a new contract with a new logic in it. Then you would call into the proxy contract saying, I want to 
not send transactions to this logic contract anymore. I want to send them to this new logic contract. And the new logic contract still references the same storage contract. Is that roughly right? Yes, that's, that's, that's right. Um, but the thing that is missing here that I think it's really awesome about Zeppelin OS is that the proxy contract needed to follow the, the storage structure or of your smart contract, the, the one that you're making upgradable. And what we've been exploring uh, at Sublim was that um, trying to find a way that uh, to, to have an upgradable smart contract, it, that, that smart contract doesn't need to be aware that there is a proxy on behind. So basically the idea that we follow was that the same strategy that Solidity uh, does to for example, map the dynamic uh, variables, for example, a mapping to, to the storage uh, of in, in, the, in the contract of, of, an EV, of the EVM. And we followed the same strategy to um, map and all, the, all, the, all the variables that we need to store uh, in terms of the, of the proxy. For example, the implementation address or, or the owner of the proxy or every information that is related to the proxy and not to the upgradable smart contracts. And it was really helpful because uh, we ended up with, with a solution that you don't need to modify uh, your smart contracts to make them upgradable, which is really, really good. But basically the idea is the, the same as you said before. We're having a proxy contract that will delegate um, every call it receives to an implementation that can be changed to make your contract, your, your logic upgradable. Cool. Is there any limitation in this design? So when I think of this structure, I can think that it's or like I can imagine that it's very hard to have the storage contract completely agnostic to what the implementation is. And like, what does the interface between those contracts look like? And, and is there any limitation in what I can or cannot upgrade? Yeah, well, um, following what I said before, um, given given the proxy contract is is doing um, its own, um, well, it's following its own storage structure, and your agreeable smart contract doesn't need to follow it. Well, actually, it doesn't need to be aware that it, it exists, um, but it's following because we're doing it from behind. Um, but basically, the, the only thing that it's not that easy to do is to um, like make really really heavy changes on on the storage structure of your upgradable smart contract. So what would be easy is to to add new store, uh, state variables or add new storage. But if you would like to modify like um, or migrate the whole storage structure to a, a more complex new one. Um, that that would be kind of difficult, but um, we've been exploring that it's possible. So, um, so I, I don't think that there is something that you cannot do with uh, agreeable smart contracts. Uh, the the final solution that uh, we'll be including uh, in our first release is I'm I'm really happy about it. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, there there's no uh, inherent limitations, but adding a new storage variable might be easy whereas like changing from storing an address to storing a person might cost a lot of money trying to like migrate all that data over yeah 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 definitely uh but it it it's possible that's 
that's the thing. I mean, it will be it will be hard either uh, using our upgradeability, upgradeability mechanism or if you if you need to migrate it mig migrate um, those variables uh, manually. So uh, it basically is the way the EVM works. So um, we're just we're we're sure we're not adding any other complexity to the way uh, we we manage uh, storage in upgradable smart contracts. Um, with the uh, sort of technical implementation details out of the way, I have a question that touches more on the you know interpretation of smart contracts or or the the mental model around this. Because people say that the blockchain is immutable, you know, what does that mean? Um, why should users trust upgradable contracts? I mean, uh, the sort of fundamental basis here is that I know what I'm interacting with f for now and all eternity. So why should I change? Why should I trust something that can change under my feet? I think that's a very good point and something we've been thinking a lot since we started with Zeppelin OS. Um, our conclusion so far. Um, I guess it's, it's twofold. The first one is that uh, we agree that immutability is important, but having upgradable smart contracts doesn't break into that logic. So no, the, the blockchain layer is still uh, immutable and all the storage and all the balances are also immutable in the smart contract. What you're changing and upgrading is basically the logic of the smart contract itself. So it's in the same way, you know, Ethereum has a protocol upgrade, uh, but it keeps all the balances. Um, if you upgrade a smart contract, you're keeping all the balances and you're upgrading the, the logic. Um, and that's the first one. So no, a conclusion there is not, it's not like a trade-off between immutability and upgradability, but you no, know, a complementary thing. And the second one is that upgradability should have its own consensus mechanism. So in the same way, if you have a blockchain where there's only one node, you're free to upgrade and make that blockchain immutable every time because you're the only person there and you can you know, uh, choose whatever you want to do. That's the same thing with a smart contract. If you're the only owner uh, and you have the private key that can change the parameters, you are free to do that. But I think the interesting things happen when the logic for upgrading smart contract depends on the consensus of multiple stakeholders or multiple token holders. So what happens if uh, you need, you know, uh, there's kind of like a multi-sig thing where you need three people out of five for signing and upgrading the contract? Or what happens if you need the more than 50% of all the token holder base and you have like a public token with thousands of, of um, you know, token holders? So that's more of like a democracy thing. So um, going back to, to the second point, I think immutability uh, should, depends on the you know, token holders chosen consensus mechanism to perform that upgrade. We're also in that, in that regard, we're working closely with the Aragon team. They, they have something that's called Aragon OS, which is kind of complementary what we're doing, where they're focusing while we focus on infrastructure and availability, they focus on governance and they will be providing eventually these you know, governance mechanisms for our users to um, execute these upgrades over time.
I find that to be like a really fascinating description you just sort of said about how like different blockchain, different communities could actually have different rules of what exactly immutability means and what uh, upgradability would actually mean as well and how upgradability happens. Yeah, I think there's always this trade-off between quote-unquote immutability and being pragmatic and actually building something because no one will ever build something that is perfect on their first try. It just doesn't happen. It's never happened in the history of humanity with anything. Uh, it's not going to happen on the blockchain either. <laughs> so, uh, like, I think it's just a, a thing that is necessary. And so the question is more, how do we deal with it? How do we make it transparent? How do we make it, you know, uh, as uncorruptible as we can? And I think, yeah, putting in governance layers, putting in um, methods that the stakeholders of this application can can actually have an influence. I mean, one option to me is always that uh, on a contract upgrade, you copy all the data. So essentially, at that point, any user who does not wish to upgrade can just keep using the old contract because it, it'll still be there. Uh, of course, this is, a, is an extremely expensive way to do it, but it would be a way to do it if you really want to provide that guarantee that you know the application that you signed up for will always exist. But at the same time, if you think of anything that we do today, like anything we sign up for, I think we also assume that it can evolve. Not only assume, like we, or rather, not only assume that it can, but that it should and that it will. Like we want pe- things to get better, obviously. Yeah, and doing the analogy with like traditional legal contracts, there's always a point or a clause there saying like you know the parties in the agreement can uh, agree to amend or uh, the the agreement for a new version if everyone's in charge. So basically, what they're providing is a consensus framework or mechanism to uh, execute new upgrades of this legal contract without having to ask the underlying court and the judges to to change the agreement for them. Well, I would say on that point, I think, uh, Frederick, I don't know if you have any other questions. Nope. So then, yeah, I would say on that point, uh, I want to say thank you guys for this conversation. It's definitely given me some food for thought. I'm going to be like, I like kind of where this came through the developer UX, talking a little bit about security, talking a little bit about this upgradability, immutability, and then like, I like this metaphor with with the legal contracts as well. Um, yeah, so I just want to say sort of thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. These are were great questions, and we're happy to talk about this. So thank you for having us. Um, with respect to Zeppelin and Zeppelin OS and Open Zeppelin, we are you know hiring great people, mostly uh, software engineers. So you know if you're listening to this and and you you're interested in smart contract development, smart contract security, and everything we spoke here, feel free to go to zeppelin.solutions slash jobs um, to see our, our openings, and we'd be happy to hear from you. Yeah, thank you both guys uh, for asking these uh, really nice and interesting questions, and it's a pleasure of, for us to have you in Argentina. So thank you. Thank you for that. Cool. Thank you very much for the call. So to our listeners... Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.